Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. We're here with a great group again. Uh, we're talking about an article I picked this week titled Indivisible, uh, inquiring into being othered as a means to teach social justice in Pete. It was written by Lauren Henning, uh, Lee Schaefer, and Doug Gleddy. Uh, so I'll go around to start uh, so people know who's here. So if you can just say your name and university. Um, we'll start with Aaron. Hi, everybody. Aaron Santeo here. I'm an associate professor at University of Hawaii at Manoa. And Tori? Hey, this is uh, Tori Shriver. I am a visiting assistant professor at Northern Illinois University. Kevin? Uh, and this is, oh, sorry. So, yeah, this is Kevin Richards uh, from the uh, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And Michael? Hey, everybody. It's Michael Hintill, uh, University of North Carolina at Greensboro. All right. So uh, as is tradition, uh, whoever picks the article has to give the reason for why they picked the article. Uh, so my reason was that the title jumped out at me at first. Um, I'm going to be teaching my first social and cultural studies uh, or social issues uh, in PE classes upcoming semester. Um, we spent the last uh, two summer uh, PE collaborative meetings um, over the summer talking about race uh, racism, anti-blackness, social justice, that pushed me to uh, do a little outside of class reading. Um, so I read Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, uh, which really pushed my thinking and um, pushed me to think about a lot of things that I thought were true um, that were kind of uh, challenged in there. Um, and then this article came across asking the critical question of how Pete students can be engaged in taking a culturally responsive approach when teaching. So it all kind of fit for me. Um, and I'd like to also note that having a qualitative paper uh, published in PSP as a first author while being a master's student is pretty impressive. Uh, that was not something that I was doing in my master's program. Uh, so what about you all? What were your first impressions on this? I'll go first, Risto. Um, I really enjoyed reading the paper. I think that um, it brought up some really great points. I think one of the things that I was hoping to read a little bit more um, when I had first skimmed it and then like finishing through the article was that like, how do we get from um, this idea of like engaging and being critical of our own experiences and kind of going through that uh, with our students and getting them to be critical of their own experiences. But then how does that translate into our teaching? Like once they're past their pre-service teachers, like how do we actually implement that with our own students and so I was I was really hoping that this article was going to go there and I don't it didn't actually go there but maybe maybe the next time they'll they'll get to that one I think for my initial perspectives of the article in a very positive manner I appreciated the fact that it provides a first step into addressing this type of concept it's really difficult to talk about social justice right off the bat with groups of pre-service teachers, at least in my experience in PEACH. So this is a way to segue into that, provide an initial conversation piece that might lead into some of the more challenging topics that pre-service teachers might have a tough time wrapping their heads around. So I appreciated the practicality of it in a sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice article. It's a good contribution. My um, Going back to what Risto said, these conversations over the summer uh, and on my campus around social justice, there it's been suggested that some kind of self-reflection and self-evaluation is really what's necessary right now, especially among um, 
white people um, and but but including everyone in addition to that but trying to situate where we fit into social justice uh, and so this offers an idea around that it seems like around um, narrative inquiry and maybe raises questions about you know how do you uh, build upon that and then how do you fit everyone into narrative inquiry there's three unique cases here um, and so can you extend that to diverse groups and um, what does that process look like uh, and yeah and I, I agree with a lot of what uh, what michael said and what what um aaron and uh tori said as well uh you know i i think with the events that happened over the summer and and the uh kind of intensified focus that's been put on institutional racism and um and uh, anti-blackness and um, uh, police brutality in our country. I think issues of social justice have, have come to the surface even more. So, so that kind of part of this article caught my attention because I think it's really relevant to our current, current situation and the current things that we're grappling with. The, the other thing that drew me in was the use of autobiography. Um, uh, some of uh, my colleagues and I have used autobiography with uh, pre-service teachers to help them kind of more deeply explore their socialization and, and what brought them into the profession, kind of their their reasons for wanting to be a PE teacher. Uh, but, but this just shows how autobiography can kind of go kind of a different direction that, that I haven't used it in the past uh, for, but, but it seems like it can be quite powerful. Yeah, and I, I like the differentiation early on that the fact that just making students aware doesn't actually mean that they're going to take the action steps when teaching to be socially just. And I think that that is the hardest push in our field and as PEAT educators is we can teach them all we want. And I think that this autobiography, the self-evaluation does take that next step. It might not be the final step for them to actually do what they're doing, but I do think that it does take that next step to really inquire about yourself and write that autobiography and maybe um, Kevin, you can share, how do you do that in, in your classes right now? And what, what kind of, what does that project look like? Uh, yeah, so this is something that I started doing at Purdue when we were there and, and I've used with pretty much every methods class that I've taught, um, across different universities that I've been at along my journey. Uh, but, but I start off, you know, b because the, these autobiographies are primarily socialization focused with the way that I've used them. I start off kind of giving the students an overview of, of occupational socialization theory, talking about the different phases, you know, explaining that some of the factors that drew them into the field relate to their acculturation, and then talking about how they're in professional socialization at, at the time, um, and then encouraging them to kind of think back on the people and experiences that have been influential in, in shaping their identity, their belief system related to PE, um, you know, I ask them to consider if they're teaching oriented or coaching oriented and, and why. Um, and, and I think that it's important to do all of this within an environment where the students understand that they're not being evaluated necessarily for what they tell you. So if a student were to tell me that they that they're coaching oriented, I wouldn't take off credit for that. I, I would I might push them to think a little bit differently or engage them in conversation. But it's the, the reflection, that self-reflection that I'm looking for when I evaluate those essays. Um, and, and I think that a similar approach could be taken here. You know, I, I always feel kind of strange about grading people's past experiences or their beliefs or their, um, you know, their socialization influences. But I think that you can, I think you can 
evaluate based on the level of, of reflective um, uh, uh, thought that they put into it. And, and so I have a rubric that I use that evaluates based on, you know, did they meet the criteria? Did they show depth of reflection? Those types of things. Thanks, Kevin. I think one of the interesting quotes that was in here was that traditional teaching reinforces traditional outcomes. And so we, we talk about that for our students, right? So I have students go out their first lesson, they, they write it up and it's run around and then come in and do static stretching and then line up in your squad lines. And then we go do this. And I'm like, wait, didn't we just have this whole lecture on this? And you're just recreating that. But I, I want to push back on that for Pete's, uh, Pete teachers. How much of what we do is just recreating what we saw our Pete professors do? And I think articles like this that are pushing the social justice issue, right? And I, I thought about you, Kevin, when, when this was coming up about the socialization of how I am socialized as a, uh, as a Pete professor, right? Where, where did I learn? What did I learn? Am I recreating it? And I think one of the issues that maybe that people in higher education and Pete are not tackling social justice because they were never modeled how to teach it. Because in our programs, when we're going through, yes, some places had a huge push on social justice, but it wasn't across the board. And if you're going to school in the 90s, 2000s, it wasn't as, again, it's not like it didn't exist there were there were scholars that were writing about it it there's huge like injustices happening all all the time but up until recently it hasn't been as big as a cultural issue and i know that sounds bad the way i'm saying it but i i do think that you know we haven't been socialized in how to teach it so we end up recreating what we've seen would you agree or disagree with that I mean, I, I completely 100% agree with you, Risto. I think that that has a lot to do with it. It's like this ever in, never ending cycle, right? Where socialization plays a big part in it. And where, where does that, where does that stop, right? Like, how do we become peak faculty that make that change so that in the future, our students who then go out to be peak faculty or heat faculty or whomever and our undergraduate students kind of stop that cycle. And I know that um, Kevin and I were part of a team of people that wrote a, a paper that kind of talked about um, with Jen Fissette-Walton and um, others that talked about this idea of bringing social justice into Pete and making making it part of the curriculum. And I really do just think that that's important that we start making that shift and it needs to be integrated. But I mean, there's how many PEEP programs across the U.S.? Kevin, you probably know the answer to this. I think there was a paper about it recently or something. What is it, like 350? And that's a lot of 500. So, I mean, that's a lot of change um, and, and kind of helping people. It's not only about making change in the program and how we're teaching, but PEAT faculty themselves have to be reflecting on their own experiences and kind of going through this where they might never have been exposed to teaching for social justice as well. And so it's kind of like this tiered approach, right? Yeah, I, I'm gonna say something that I might regret later um, uh, in, in an effort to be a little bit provocative here. But, but, but I think as PEAT faculty members, we're often very comfortable criticizing the practice of K-12 teachers and, and 
you know, shining the light on all the things that they don't do or the things that, that we think that they should do differently, um, you know, through our research, but, but through our anecdotes and our, our, our teaching and our conversations with students as well. But, but I don't think we are as willing or as comfortable to shine that light on ourselves and think about not only what we can do on an individual level to improve our practice, but what we can do at, you know, the institutional level of Pete um, to improve the practice of Pete uh, and, to, and to, to say, you know what, there might be some parts about this that maybe aren't going so well that we need to do differently. I think that that's something that makes us somewhat uncomfortable as Pete faculty members. But I think we have tools for that now that are starting to emerge. If you look at like self-study of teacher education practice, that's been used both at the personal level and at like the program level, if you think about a PEAT program, to think about how programs could be improved or refined. Um, so there are ways to do that, but I think as PEAT faculty, we need to get more comfortable saying, look, there are things that I do that are not that great and I need to work on that. And I, an extended point off of that, and not to spiral too much off topic, but I think as an early career faculty member, um, if there is an element of risk in teaching social justice and doing it right, because you want to make sure you are, you know, absolutely meeting the expectations that your students have of you and you depend on their reviews and the way you approach it can be a little bit dicey at times. So um, like an article like this is really helpful because it does provide some sort of concrete context that you can present to those that are higher up in your institution. This is what I'm doing and it's backed by literature and supported. Um, but then also beyond that, social justice is, while the institutions consistently say an important to content topic to discuss, it's still so controversial um, and there's a lot of risk involved, unfortunately. Yeah, let me add to that. And if you, Kevin offered examples of audio, autobiographical essays. Uh, I have a recent doctoral student who use that for his dissertation, um, and they tend to focus on areas that every student can fit themselves into. So if you say, what's your orientation? Are you more coaching or teaching? Uh, anybody can kind of feel safe in presenting that about themselves, and the space that this opens up is different. Um, the it, it can be seen as a privilege to be transparent about issues of social justice. Um, it, it's not a safe space for minorities in PEAT programs, especially when they're very isolated, to, to share what their experience is, is about social justice or what their viewpoints are in, in kind of a political realm. And so I think we have to think carefully about that because we could be kind of further marginalizing students uh, if we're open up spaces for the students like the three in this uh, study here you know, to share how they feel like they've been marginalized by um, issues they experience when their peers are not going to be able to really open up about those things. Um, so that's one piece of this that I think would be worth unpacking further. Uh, you mentioned the author being a master's student so early in her career. I mean, that might be, that suggests to me that this is an area where there's space for further consideration, which is a good place to be early in your career because you've got a solid solid footing, but I think that's where I finished is I thought about walking into, you know, my classrooms, uh, we're, we're the most diverse university in North Carolina. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't be prepared to execute this assignment and meet the needs of all, 
all students. And so I wonder if that's kind of the next frontier of this kind of work is to understand, you know, how can we enter this space in a way that is just for everyone who's going to participate. Yeah. And I, I think one of the, one of the quotes that I got off of here was, and we talked offline a little bit about the critical theory aspect of this. And one of the quotes I pulled out was critical theorizing while important has not provided educators or pre-service teachers with a clear directive on how best to address social justice concerns. And I saw this on a collaborative call um, in the summer. A lot of teachers were, you know, asking for resources, asking for help. Like, what do I do? I just, you know, they felt like they just don't have the toolkit ready to address these issues. And Michael, you talked about how you were at a diverse university. If you're not at a diverse university, there, you know, it might be different. It might be the same. But I also get it from the, you know, scholars' point of view. Like they've written a bunch of these papers. They're out there, and I think they are waiting for people to go in and read the research and you know, educate themselves and do that extra time. But, you know, I, I think it's, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, but I think it's, it's a, I'm not going to say it because I was going to say it's too much to ask for faculty to do this extra work because they are already teaching for classes, doing research, doing, you know, service. But again, it's what was brought up on our uh, model space practice call uh, yesterday was, you will find the space for what you think is most important to teach. And I think that that's the big, you know, big push there is what is most important. And if you find this stuff to be important, you're going to do the extra reading. You're going to do the extra stuff. So go ahead, Erin. Well, one of the things that I really appreciated about this article was that it was for lack of a better word, it was really easy to read and like understand. And sometimes um, I feel that like I, I come from a curriculum and instruction like program for my PhD, like very um, critical oriented at the University of Texas, like influenced by great scholars in the field of education, right? And so I've had a lot of exposure to some of the critical pedagogies and other theoretical frameworks, but not all peat faculty or heat faculty have had that experience, right? And so I think sometimes where the disconnect might be between, like, it might be around the understanding of what's actually being written, because there are, like, really great articles out there about um, teaching with social justice and the critical ped- pedagogies that surround that. But I would say that sometimes they're really hard to digest and, like, understand like how to make it applicable and so in my own opinion and I don't I don't I don't know if this is right or not but sometimes as P faculty that might not have those critical experiences it's really hard for them to understand like how to translate it and make it more applicable to their life yeah I was gonna say Jen Walton Fassett put out a book uh last year I think on uh exactly this and how to teach social justice that's aimed at a a PE teacher on how to do that, and so Jen Walton Fassett getting two plugs in uh, in one uh, one podcast. So buy the book. Um, you know, I I've looked at it to adopt it for my uh, for my class next semester, and I I feel that the way it's written is a uh, is a good first step to make that more digestible. And you know, going back to that conversation we had yesterday on models based practice, it's we as educators have to write for practitioners. And 
Kevin, you know, we we've talked about this of, you know, what's the struct like, do you get credit for writing a Joe Bird article or a blog post or you know, doing a podcast or something that makes your research more digestible for for uh, PE teachers? Not not a lot. It's it's different, but that's the way we need to reach that population. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's one way that we can reach that population. You know, writing for outlets like Joe Bird. Um, you know, I think that, that Risto, you and others who host podcasts, I think have tapped into other ways to reach out to the to those populations uh, as well. Um, you know, you're right. Uh, I I don't know necessarily that that I get a ton of credit um, towards my tenure case or promotion case for writing. Um, you know, Joe articles, but, but, I, but I'd like to think that there's an indirect effect there that in the long run is going to really help you because it's another way to get your work out, to get it looked at and heard. And I also feel like if, if, you know, part of what we do, or if a big part of what we do as Pete faculty is, you know, to, to be positioned as disciplinary stewards, then we have this responsibility then to, to communicate with audiences that go beyond talking to each other in research journals. So, you know, I, I've, I've just kind of always seen it as part of my responsibility to communicate with practitioners. And one way that I try to do that is through Joe Bird papers, because I'm very comfortable writing. I'm not as comfortable getting up in front of a group and doing professional development, although I know a lot of people are. Um, and that's equally as valuable. It's just a different outlet. So, I'll, so this is based in Canada. I think, was it based around Montreal, perhaps? I know the author yeah, was uh, from Mississippi, but... Um, so, you know, that's a different context and social justice is really uh, context specific. Um, even if you're in the United States, it's different depending on where we are. In fact, the five of us would have very different uh, social justice issues to think about. Um, the questions that I would ask if I was doing it here and that I wondered is like, how do these individualized issues relate to systems? Um, that produce social, socially just or unjust outcomes. And so that would be, you know, a frontier I'd want to cross with an autobiographical essay is to kind of interrogate um, things like neighborhood segregation. You know, in my community, we talk about eviction rates, which are uh, sky high for certain parts of the town. Um, issues of, you know, uh, school to prison pipeline or students being suspended and, and how does that breakdown demographically. So I, I guess I'm looking for uh, the next level of probing. And I wonder what that would look like for for Canada. So I feel like this was kind of that first piece, you know, I wonder if there's like a second uh, iteration that's possible here to get at um, more in depth issues around social justice. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Michael. I know Doug on on Twitter had said that this is the first of a few uh, that they're planning on putting out from this. So um, maybe that is the next step. And we are, if this is a series of three papers, then we don't have the full picture of the whole entire story yet. Because I mean, it just came out like a month ago. Um, but uh, what do you all think uh, in that kind of different context? Um, I'd agree heavily that it's context specific. I don't think that at any point we should be teaching social justice as a universal uh, agreed upon focus in, in every setting because you never know what's going to be presented around you. Obviously, we can all come together on certain topics and understand that there should be um, a right and wrong, but my community is, again, very different than Michael's, very different than yours, Risto. 
on and on. Um, I think that the first step in this article where they were talking about the comparison between the essays to then um, discussing other topics that were provided in the textbook, that was the first step to it. And then potentially, like Michael, you were saying, you could then bring in specific contextual setting um, actual cases that they could then consider how they fit into it a little bit more. Um, again, this was from the perspective of a very specific three individuals. So it would have to be modified to meet the needs of all students, and that would be really challenging. But I think that would be a next step as long as it is meeting the needs of your community. And I wonder how this intersects with something like Sarah. Sarah Flory has done a lot of work, uh, for example, on culturally responsive physical education. And I know Tori, through her dissertation work, um, looked at a field-based learning experience and a methods course that, that focused on culturally responsive PE. And so I wonder where, where um, things like that might dovetail and intersect with, with social justice. I guess that's more of a question than a comment. And sorry, based on the culturally you know, relevant PE concepts that you talked about with Lori, um, I thought about that too in the sense that her approach, or her Nakatri's approach, was to focus on the community first and kind of getting to know the students or the population and the setting, whereas this approach is much more focused on the individual first and then branching out to the community. So it's just kind of a backwards approach. Yeah, I mean, I think they had 45 students go through this experience. Um, you know, they they did pick those three individuals to give three different looks. And so I, I think one of, one of the interesting things was the way that they picked those three people, right? The, the three people in this group were white, able-bodied, heterosexual, et cetera, et cetera. So they kind of filled this on the surface level of privileged, white, uh, academic, educated uh, students. And yeah, they, they did have issues within life, mental health, diabetes, concussion, um, but that you can't necessarily see on the surface. And I know that that's probably what they were going for. But I mean, the good part is that the pre-service teachers are being self-reflective and using whatever they've experienced to think differently. And I think that that is the key that they were trying to push. But one of the questions I have is, can you really equate having a concussion to understanding what a person growing up in a housing project with a single mother living below the poverty line feels? And, you know, we should, in, in this article, does focus on the small victories and, you know, depending on what your, Michael, you talked about what the context is, it's very different. You might have a very heterogeneous, mostly white population in your classes. So how do you pull that out? But I think that's one, um, you know, critique here or a question that I have. And I wanted to see what your what your opinion on that was, because I think, again, it's really good that they did this article in that way. And this is a master's student that's, you know, ba like basically, you know, doing much more than normal master's students are. But I think that was uh, an interesting comment there. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna come back to that. So I want to respond to something that Tori said, and then I'll I'll get to your question. But I think um, so, and I'll say this from my own um, obviously my viewpoint, my own experiences. But I would say that 
within the Flory McCautry's framework um, of culturally responsive teaching, I don't necessarily think that it starts with the community. I think that um, in that approach, I would argue that it's very much starting with cultural competence of the individual, which is more at this at this individual level. And I kind of see this as like the first step, like this inquiry is the first step in really gaining that cultural competence yourself. Because what we know in order to be a culturally responsive teacher is that you have to understand your own, like how, how you're framed, how you have experienced life. And I think that this really gets at this. Now, I know that the theoretical underpinnings between behind social justice and culturally responsive teaching are different. And I would say that I'm more of a practical um, researcher in that I don't necessarily uh, have the knowledge that others might have about those nuances. But I do think that culturally responsive teaching starts with this inquiry of self first and then brings in that community and understanding the community and tries to bridge those together. So, in that respect, then thinking about the individuals in this particular study, obviously, I think they're limited. But in, in this sense, I think that they're understanding themselves. And then kind of what Michael was saying earlier, our next step as PEAT faculty is to then get them to understand themselves in that broader context and that they're going to need to then understand their own self in relation to others within their class and have the conversation or others within the world that have experienced the world different and then understand how they are situated within others to then understand in the classroom or in the community. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, it, I mean, when you think about the issues that they experience, I would it'd be interesting to interrogate questions like um, access to health care, which in the United States would be different than Canada, but the privilege aspect would play a big role there. You know, with the concussion issue, it would be interesting to think about um, this. I can't remember the sport she was playing, but in relation to American football and the racial demographics and how that um, issue has played out again in relation to health care and what's acceptable for um, issues like that. Um, and then, you know, um, privilege in relation to kind of mental health services as it relates to depression and how, how that might play out. And so I think that's that next level, at least in my context, that we would have to get at, or I, I fear that we would risk, um, you know, I don't want people who come from privileged backgrounds to feel like they're all of a sudden the most oppressed. And that's what tends to happen when you raise uh, certain conversations like this or if, or if certain people start to take center stage more, that if you've enjoyed that center stage, it feels oppressive, even though uh, it might just be people who've been oppressed are getting more of a voice. So um, that's a tough, that's tough terrain, I think, to navigate, you know, so it's um, important that this kind of work start that conversation as it's done here but you know that next step is 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 a big challenge so i'm looking forward to the future work you mentioned might be coming forward um out of this risto I, I guess the other thing that i'm thinking about now um and this is in no way necessarily a reflection of of uh this article itself 
but I think it's more musings of of trying to teach um, you know critical issues like social justice and, and culturally uh, uh, responsive, not responsive. What is it, Tori? Culturally relevant physical. Edu- I always for some I'm sorry for some reason I always get that mixed up. Culturally relevant physical education. Yeah, I, I think that, that we have to think about um, assets versus deficit based approaches. And, and the fact that if, if we only take students part of the way, then, then what we've seen in, in, our, in some of our own research and in practice is that sometimes they kind of fill in the gaps with deficit-based language. And so they might start to understand, okay, well, yeah, TPSR is about helping kids become better people. I'm going to make them better people by correcting these problems. Um, and, and, you know, that, that isn't really the, this kind of uplifting assets based let's identify the strengths and, and expand upon the, them approach that, that I think we really want to take when we're doing this kind of work. So, so I, th- I think reflective of what we're talking about here, it's not enough just to discuss um, these things. We need to get below the surface and promote that really critical reflection. And I do agree related to, to this article in particular, at least with my experience, having done autobiographical essays for a, a slightly different purpose, I, I do think that that's one kind of key that can start to unlock that door and get them to think below the surface level um, about what these these different things really mean. Uh, I'd agree with that. And I think even an extension, thinking about how we need to focus on assets. One component that hopefully all individuals we work with at the pre-service teacher level is that there can be empathy and I think that this is one approach to where we can draw out a degree of empathy, at least initially. Certainly a lot more work would need to be done beyond just this uh, autobiographical component and understanding how I have felt othered in some way um, to understand that there's much larger issues than what the three participants in this particular study have experienced. But I think stepping into that role at first, instead of from the outside just discussing the issues but not ever really placing yourself in a position of uh, discomfort, perhaps this could be the first step. Um, so I think it could go much farther along. And I think one component of the article where they said, um, you know, it's almost, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's, it's debilitating to state something as if it were an issue that hits everyone the exact same way. And, can be a major setback. I think that keeping that in mind and addressing that with the component of empathy and understanding initially, then transitioning into these larger challenging topics will help them understand how everyone does have an individual approach to things or experiences prior, but uh, things will be modified as you go and everyone's going to have to adjust that mindset of thinking to meet the needs of, of those who have a larger challenge to face in society. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I, I pulled that quote because I, I, I resonated with that too. So the quote is, furthermore, we find that generalizing and reducing Pete's students' experiences to teach them to respond to individual student needs in socially just ways is not only ironic, but ineffective at best and negligent at worst. That's the one. I thought that was really powerful and, and meaningful for this particular study. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess one other thing that I would say about this study in a really positive way is that is if you think about like teaching for social justice, um, you're going to need to draw on a variety of different strategies for how you do that. And I think that, that autobiographical essay writing, as we see through this paper, is one 
strategy or one component that can feed into this larger process. I think we do want to look at the processes, but we also need to look at, the, at those larger processes rather, but I think we also need to look at those strategies. And, and so, you know, in the, um, in the socialization literature, for example, I, I've made arguments that, that we need to develop PEEP programs around, um, you know, student-centered um, teaching practices that, that, that focus on constructivist principles of teaching and learning. And one strategy that we've studied related to that is case-based learning. Michael and I have done some work on that topic, and, and I would not argue that case-based learning is the end-all and be-all. And I wouldn't argue that we should replace time spent in the field with time spent reading case studies, because I don't think those are the same things. And we got surprisingly a lot of pushback on that when we first started doing that work uh, and submitting those papers, because it was like people thought that we were trying to replace these larger processes with these more narrowly focused strategies. And that's not it at all. It's just that that strategy is a component part of that larger process. And we need to study it in addition to the process. Yeah, great, great points, Kevin. Um, I 100% agree. Uh, let me let me ask you this. Um, I'll, we'll leave with this last question. Um, so one of the one of the things that they did was they selected those three students who were very engaged and very open, and they were talking a lot in class and very kind of into social justice. So is that an issue? I mean, have we done a lot of research on those who are non-compliant, who sit in the back of the room and listen to lectures on social justice and still continue to have these racist, misogynistic, whatever, like all these thoughts and they're willing not to change. And I, I bet, Kevin, you could tell me uh, off the top of your head, tons of research that shows that Pete programs don't actually have enough time to change the socialization of those teachers that are going to be our future teachers. So I would argue that, and again, this was in Canada, but I would argue in, in the U.S., the people we have real issues with that are really pushing back on this are those who refuse to change, who have these ideas that are still racist and would pass in 1960s. Um, but have we done research on those students and and should Pete be considered a place for intervention is is that our role are we there to change their beliefs even though the research shows that most you know programs don't have enough time Erin you're gonna say something I was just gonna say that my mind went there as well like the the participant selection I feel like it could have been a broader range right like so they picked the good students or I say that with, um, you can't see my quotes, but, you know, air quotes going on. So I was wondering, like, how this story might have changed if they picked less engaged students or what those less engaged students, like, were putting in their self-narratives, right, um, or inquiries. And I, I had that same question. And so kind of thinking about that, okay, these are our positive cases, right? Like what's the negative case analysis say and how does that change the story? Um, and how do we how do we address that as P faculty within our classes? Because it's, it's a lot easier as a P faculty to engage in conversation with these students because they're willing to engage in that students, but sometimes in that conversation. But sometimes I struggle as a P faculty in my own classes when I teach a social cultural issues class in physical activity engaging with those students that really don't get it. So how do we bring them into the story? 
um, I, I, I guess two points to that I'd make. Um, it, I mean, it's probably yes and no, really, uh, to should they have gone broader. Uh, they offered a perspective with the three participants that um, that's helpful. One thing that was striking to me is if you just look at the three narratives of the participants, um, I mean, I think they're really well written and uh, have some sophisticated analysis and linkage to critical theory that is going to add to the conversation. Um, people who write about critical theory is gonna, are, are going to, um, you know, are going to have to grapple with this and it, it'll get cited, I suspect. And so I think that uh, is noteworthy that it was done in a way that might help move the conversation forward. The second point I'd make about um, the, the social justice issue and do we know what's happened with the students in the back of the room is I think, I think there's a lot of literature in education generally that addresses that question that we don't, uh, we don't deal with in physical education. Um, I've tried to do some extra reading since we've had social justice come into focus. And so I only have a cursory analysis here, but uh, if we're more interdisciplinary, I think we can learn a lot more. Uh, there's a lot in things like STEM education. I've come across a lot in English education around social justice and engaging those who are, are less engaged and just those who write about teacher education from a, a kind of a broader K-12 perspective. Um, and so I, I think we might consider consulting that literature to uh, make ourselves more known to folks in that world, but to take advantage of the knowledge base that's existing instead of feeling like we got to build all this from scratch in, in peak, because there's only so much of us to build the knowledge base. And I would argue that that is a great point to close out our article club on, because that was well said. That was well put. So, um, again, thank you uh, for everybody that joined today. Um, hopefully, um, those of you who are listening, if there's an article that really piques your interest, um, we welcome articles to be sent. You can email them to me or email uh, a citation to me and we'll look it over and consider it. Um, we love having a, a very diverse type of um, you know conversation on here. It doesn't have to be in one of our interest areas. And um, so uh, thanks, everybody. Appreciate your time and appreciate all your uh, thoughts and input.